Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries and our must-read daily newsletter. This week's Highways Voices once walked the corridors of power. When we met the first day, we met the Permanent Secretary and we said, now, Patrick, what are you going to do about rail privatisation? Well, uh, Ministry said, um, bit of a problem there. Now, we haven't done anything, really. We didn't think you'd win. When you hear about ministers who are arguing and having fights with their private office, I, I think it says an awful lot more about the minister than it does about the private office. Having too much expert knowledge is quite dangerous because it means you've got a very fixed idea of what you think should happen and it may not be actually what the rest of the world thinks. On our podcast, an entertaining reminisce about two politicians' time as ministers of transport and even being a star in a reasonably priced car. When you become an MP, you know, you appear on Panorama or question time or something like that and you think everybody knows me now nobody knows you because the only people who watch those programs are other mps but top gear for weeks afterwards people were stopping me in the street honking their horn learn more about life in the thick of it in this week's highways voices from highways news highways voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com so steve norris in the blue corner and stephen ladyman in the red corner this week on highways voices but we don't even talk about their merseyside football allegiances we find out about decision making legacies and more this week on highways voices that to come in a couple of minutes but first as always adrian tatum co-owner of highways news joins us and adrian what's caught your eye in the news stories this week uh, more contract wins to start the week atkins jacobs and mott mcdonald among the winners on the scottish trunk road framework this week uh, transport scotland in the news again it's seeking consultants to help it with its preferred option announced last month on highways news for the 83 Rest and Be Thankful project. The Institute of Civil Engineers is looking for further insight this week as it questions whether the UK's approach to planning and designing is as effective as it can be. And Total UK, Tarmac and HE joining forces to trial a new bitumen binder on the A43, a long-term project there, 10 to 15 years to understand what effect that binder will have on the road surface. Good news about signals upgrades this week as well, with an extra £15 million for local authorities to make sure they're working efficiently, and even that scoot and mover algorithms are still fit for purpose or whether they need to be updated. We have all this great infrastructure and it makes sense to make sure it keeps the traffic flowing as efficiently as possible and therefore keeping the air as clean as possible. Plus, loads of driverless news stories about this week, including GM launching their cruise service in Dubai. Good luck driving driverlessly uh, over there. If you've ever driven in Dubai, you'll know what I mean. And Domino's launching driverless pizza deliveries in Houston, Texas. It's tough to get any sort of pizza delivery where I live. So I wonder whether I'll be the first or last to get that sort of thing in the UK. Time will tell. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. 
Now, a few weeks ago, the Transport Technology Forum held its annual conference and Highways News hosted a couple of social evenings, which were audio programmes that we nicknamed TTFM. Now, a few weeks ago, you'll remember we included a chat here on Highways Voices with Michael Rod of Tomorrow's World. And this week, we'll go back to the other programme and bring you the best bits of a conversation I had with two former transport ministers, Steve Norris, who was in John Major's Conservative government in the 90s, and a decade later, Stephen Ladyman was in the Labour government of Tony Blair. I got the two of them together to remember their time, and Stephen started by telling me how transport was specifically for him a non-news story. The rationale when, when I became a transport minister was, let's have no publicity about transport, because all the previous publicity had been uh, bad publicity. And, and I have to say, that was one of the great frustrations I had throughout my time as a transport minister, because because actually I thought there were some great things to talk about, but um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, largely we weren't allowed to. <laughs> I, remember, I remember saying to Brian McWilly, who was the Secretary of State, um, we're doing some terrific stuff, you know, on road pricing. He said, well, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrific and we've got the best people in the business it's really interesting it's yeah. got to be the future he said Steve you're not listening stop it yes fine okay okay got it <laughs> but you did actually though Steve you brought in the first speed camera and that's still talked about today yes oh yeah I mean funny enough the interesting part about that was the police uh, and I had a disagreement because their idea was um, we should hide all the cameras so we can catch all the people who are speeding and it genuinely took a lot of persuasion to say, no, 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 no. The point is stop people speeding by letting them know there's a camera. So <laughs> actually, you know, we insisted on, and, and when Stephen was in charge, he didn't change this. Um, we put the reflective back on the camera and said, you've got to make the camera obvious because the whole point is to slow people down, not to nick them. And a later iteration for me, funny enough, was when I was one of the team um, that is now Genoptic, but was then uh, Speed Check Services. We delivered the first, you know, average speed camera. And again, you know, believe it or not at the time, and Stephen will remember this, Alistair Darling um, had a regime where the local, I think they were called the Road Safety Partnerships, were funded out of fine revenue. And we said, the problem is nobody speeds when it's an average speed camera, so nobody gets nicked. And, and therefore, as a result, we are useless to you because you don't get any revenue from us. So you're happier when people get killed. You know, now that's an exaggeration. And Alistair, to his great credit, said, yeah, you're right. And he changed the regime. And that's the point of which average speed took off. What I remember most, and I wonder if Stephen shares this with me, we came in, um, you know, in, in 1992, not with much of a majority. We'd been in for 13 years. We were... You know, nobody was particularly pleased with us. It was just that at the time, I think, for whatever reason, people said, well, you know, we'll stick with what we know. And and when we met the first day, we met the permanent secretary, wonderful Patrick Brown, Sir Patrick Brown. And we said, now, Patrick, what are you going to do about rail privatisation? And he said, uh, well, uh, ministry said, um, bit of a problem there. Uh, we haven't done anything, really. And John McGregor said, oh, why is that? He said, well, we didn't think you'd win. <laughs> and to his credit, he said, but don't worry, we've got people on it, you know. <laughs> Thursday to Friday, you know, after the Stephen and others, after the election. And so he said, we'll have something for you by Tuesday next week. And so they did, you know. And I'll tell you what, 
I, I came away, I was in the department for, thankfully, for quite a long time. I came away with a huge amount of respect for civil servants. Me, me too. I mean, I, I had, a, both in health and in transport, I, I was blessed to have most wonderful private office and really got on well and, and they couldn't do enough for me. And actually, when you, when you hear about ministers who are arguing and having fights with their private office, I, I think it says an awful lot more about the minister than it does about the private office, because they were they were wonderful. They couldn't do enough for me. And some of the people that uh, I mean, because I'm a, a, a geek at heart, I, you know, I, I like you know my my background was IT and computers, yeah. and working with people like Eric Sampson, um, Sir David King, you know, absolutely brilliant people. Yeah, and there was loads of people like that throughout the department. I want to just ask, out of the, because you mentioned about being in health, Stephen, and um, did, did either of you have any background in transport or any knowledge of transport before you were given the brief? Other than driving cars and, and loving motorbikes, not not in transport. And, and actually, in when, when I went into health, the, the Guardian, the morning after I was appointed, said that I'd been appointed for my background in pharmaceuticals and Norman Warner had been appointed for his background in social care. And when we got in the department the next morning, we discovered he was in charge of pharmaceuticals and I was in charge of social care. (laughs) Sounds about right. Sounds about right. It's quite an interesting thing. Enoch Powell, of all people, once said, the worst health ministers are doctors. And what he meant was that... Ministers aren't there because they're experts. Ministers are there because they are politicians who are appointed by the Prime Minister to ensure that in their department, broadly what the government stands for is delivered. And actually, in some ways, having too much expert knowledge is quite dangerous because it means you've got a very fixed idea of what you think should happen, and it may not be actually what the rest of the world thinks. So in my case, my only experience is that I had actually sold motor cars for a living. And in fact, Neil Kinnock, on one occasion when I seconded the Queen's speech in back in the 80s, Neil Kinnock, who was leader of the opposition at the time, said, we have to ask ourselves, would you buy a used car from this man? <laughs> as far as I'm aware, most of the front bench opposite already has. It's just about true. But it's a really important point, Paul. Never, never think that you want to have experts in the job. Um, Let the experts advise ministers, but in the end, there's a political ambition, which is what the government stands for. That's why, for example, that is why, you know, uh, Brahma, when he said to me, don't talk about road pricing, because we're not going to do it, and all it will do is stir up people who won't like it. Going back on the old um, speed camera thing, because of course, you introduced them, Steve, but it was you, Stephen, that had to justify the things to Clarkson and Ooh, therefore yeah. gave you that that famous uh, you know global celebrity famous for 15 minutes as the the man with the speed cameras and actually they had the speed camera on the track when you drove around what was the vision? well they didn't they, they they put that in 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 in, um, in post I have to say so that was wasn't there when I was driving around but that I've got to say being on top gear was fabulous and it puts a politician's fame into context because when you become an MP, you know, you appear on Panorama or Question Time or something like that, and you think everybody knows me now. 
nobody knows you because the only people who watch those programs are other MPs. But Top Gear, for weeks afterwards, people were stopping me in the street, honking their horn. (laughs) Little boys in supermarkets were hiding behind their dad's legs, peering out, you know, at at me. And and even years and years later, I've moved to Somerset after I left um, Parliament, and I was walking through Shepton Mallet, and a little boy on his bicycle screeched to a halt beside me and said, you were on Top Gear, and it must have been five <laughs> years after I'd been on Top Gear. <laughs> God loved Dave. So, But my question, therefore, is when you went into the department and went, hey, guys, I'm going to go and do Top Gear, um, how much support did you have for that idea when you first mooted it? I think it was made possible, actually, by the, by the fact that the previous week... Clarkson had made a joke about the fact that the Secretary of State's name was Darling and the Roads Minister was Ladyman. So they made some sort of uh, slightly off-colour joke about that. You know, somebody in the department sort of mentioned it to me that they'd made made that joke. And we were working on traffic cameras at the time and, and trying to reformat the way funding was used. And I just said to the, to the publicity people, well, why don't we see if they'd like us on Top Gear? And they said, well, would the Secretary of State agree with that? And surprisingly, he did. But so, you know, it, it went ahead and it was a, a wonderful experience. I've got to say on traffic cameras, though, Steve introduced the yellow boxes. I introduced the average speed cameras through motorways. Not everything, I have to say, is great experience in transport because one of the things you get as a transport minister on on, on your weekend box are the reports of the fatalities on the motorways from the highways agency. And one of the first ones that I opened up after I became the, the minister, was referring to two roads workers who'd been killed yeah. because somebody speeding through a, a, a roadworks at night in the rain had lost their way, gone through the, 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 the cones and, and hit these two poor people. Yeah. And yeah. so I immediately said, we have got to do something about mm-hmm. about speeding through uh, motorway roadworks and they, they they came up with with average speed cameras and they've worked brilliantly to be frank with you i mean you know we all hate them when we're driven 50 miles an hour for about 20 yeah. miles they keep but people alive watch. i'd like to point out i'm quite hurt actually stephen because surely one of the highlights you must have had that would have been in about mid-2000s, there was a director of a company called ITIS, Steve Norris, helped get the then transport minister in to actually find out more about what ITIS was doing using very cleverly the movement of mobile phones to monitor traffic. And ITIS worked with a company at the time called Traffic Link. And so the bloke in charge of the information at Traffic Link had to show the minister around and explain how the traffic was gathered. And that happened to be me. And I met, would have met you in the mid-2000s, and I, I, I showed you round and explained how we did it, and then there was a presentation to you in the boardroom. And I remember asking you about that when, when then you wrote the column for me when I edited Smart Highways magazine, and you said you didn't remember me, which is no surprise, but you did remember the visit. Oh, how much of your two jobs 
was involved in actually being wheeled to places like a, an office up opposite Smithfield Market to be shown around brilliant new ideas with people desperately, obviously, looking for taxpayer money to uh, to fund the expansion. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed that part of the job, and I do, I do still remember that that visit actually, and. Um, and, and the technology that was involved in it and the organisation that was involved in it was, was mind-blowing. And so much of, 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 of my time was, was like that. And, and I can remember an, another visit that I made to the McLaren Works. And, um, and, and then McLaren was, was, the boss of McLaren was Ron Dennis. Yeah. And um, at, at, at previous week, I'd visited a university that was working on some very advanced uh, transport stuff. And one of the things they were working on was a chip to, to monitor engine performance. It could monitor 64 different um, aspects of energy performance at a time. When I went to McLaren, they were working on, on the next generation of chip that could monitor 128 different channels of, at the time. And had a, this conversation with Ron Dennis and Ron said, You've got all of these little pots of research going on that, that, that you fund. Put them all together. Give them to, to me. I'll get the, the Formula One world to spend this money. And I guarantee that we'll save 20, we'll, we'll come up with something that saves 20% of carbon emissions on, on car transport. <laughs> yeah, and, and I went away from that and thought, you know, he's probably right. And, and so I actually floated that in the department. Why don't, why don't we make a big contribution to, to really horizon thinking technologies and, and have somebody, somebody like Formula One people, you know, experts look at it and, and see if they can make a step change in the way we, we create the efficient uh, engines. But un unfortunately, like all these good ideas, the treasury then says, now, if, if you lose a five-figure sum on a, a bad in, in, uh, research investment, nobody will notice. You lose an eight-figure sum and you'll end up in front of a select committee, so we're not doing that. <laughs> I love the fact there that Stephen almost made out being shown around a company called Traffic Link by me was somehow on a par with meeting Ron Dennis, the boss of McLaren F1. Ah, uh, if only. You're listening to Highways Voices from Highways News, your home of your daily briefing with all you need to know from our industry. And don't forget to sign up for that to get it into your inbox every midday. And also to subscribe free to this podcast. All the details are in the blurb. We'll hear more from Steve and Stephen in a moment. But first, let's hear who's getting Tatum's recognition this week in Adrian's accolade. So, Adrian, a fantastic choice you have for this week's Adrian's accolade? Yes Paul, quite a difficult one for me to give this week. I knew this man for a very long time, for 14 years, so all the time I worked in the highways industry. Last week he sadly passed away uh, at a far too younger age of cancer and he's much loved in the, hi in the highway sector uh, across the, the whole of the highways and transport sector for people that he worked with and he worked with many an incredibly passionate man, decent man who worked tirelessly to support the industry, fusing together the local government and central government, which, as many would understand, is a very difficult job in itself. And working really hard towards a five-year sector deal with the sector council, which I hope in his memory that we can achieve together moving forward. 
he was one of the first people that I interviewed when, when I came in as editor of Surveyor magazine and a reluctant interviewee because he worked for the government. But nonetheless, he did it and he did it with passion, which he, which he did everything he did in this industry. So Michael Aid goes to Steve Berry, head of highway maintenance at the Department for Transport in his memory. And I hope that, um, as I said, we can take forward his work as an industry and move forward and, and develop the industry he much loved. Highways Voices remembers the great Steve Berry and he's Adrian's accolade this week. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Back now to our ministerial memories with Steve Norris in the blue corner and Stephen Ladyman in the red. And being a Transport Technology Forum event, Steve talked about his memories of introducing technology into the industry. When I was a minister, ITS literally was in its infancy. I'm only the second president of ITS as it is uh, in the UK. And um, at that time, we literally were looking at things like lane access. Uh, we were looking at early camera versions and um, what Mr. Gatsonidis was doing in, in Holland and so on. You know, it was very primitive stuff. Ironically for me, most of my involvement in high technology took place after uh, when we founded ITIS, which was not long after I left the department. And, you know, that was a 10-year journey because we originally thought that if we could say to a haulier, we could save you half an hour per vehicle per day. That would amount to, if you've got 100 trucks, you know, that's X hundred hours of time. And how much does it cost you to have an hour of time or whatever? And we thought that would be our market. And just as a classic example of how these things work out, that turned out to be completely wrong. Because what would happen is the transport manager would say, I don't need you to tell me. I've got, I've got all my lads, they've all got mobile phones. They weren't smartphones in those days, but they were mobile phones, you know. And he said, I, I'll ring up and I'll say, hey, Steve, where are you? He said, well, I'm, 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 I'm on the A24, but I'll tell you what, there's a hell of a crush here, boss. You know, I'm not <laughs> fine. Okay, thank you very much. Well, when, you, when do you reckon you'll get to, you know, your destination? He said, I know, I know my people because actually it turns out that most trucks are doing, you know, daily runs from A to B and back and A to C and back and A to D and back. And so we found actually that our market was the people in charge of roads who had a legal obligation to decongest them. Yeah. So that when you could provide this data, it wasn't going to the haulier, it was actually going to TFL or TFGM or, you know, uh, the, the, in those cases, the highways agency and so on. They were the people who actually wanted to use the data. The market was completely different around the world. That's what we sold. It's an object lesson. And a lot of the technology that we're developing now, you know, smart city technology, fascinating stuff, really, really interesting stuff. I'll give you a whole journey. I can price every part of your journey on one app and get you from your home to somebody else's home in the other part of the country. Isn't that brilliant? And the answer is, no, not really. I'm perfectly happy. I know how to get on the tube. <laughs> anyway. And then I buy a ticket. What's the big deal? You know, what are you trying to sell me, guys? Is it just because you want to follow me and you want to get data out of me? I'm not that stupid. Go away. Well, I was working very much on um, on the really early floating vehicle data that I think, I don't think it's breaking any rules because it's so long ago that it was basically Stobart National Express coaches bleeping away once a minute. Pretty oh, no, you couldn't get enough density out of that. And, and what switched it was when we realised that if you could get, say either O2 or Vodafone, 
you could get enough granularity to be able to say, I know what's happening at the bottom of Edgware Road, and I also know what's happening by St John's Wood part of the Edgware Road. But the interesting thing was the fact that, of course, then when that famous presentation to Mr. Ladyman happened, we were absolutely convinced that this was the way forward. You didn't need cameras. You didn't need loops in the road because the phones would do it all. And of course, this was where I was introduced to the joys of politics in as much as Stephen sat in the boardroom in Charterhouse Street and said, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's brilliant. Can't touch it because our policy is switch your phone off when you get in your car. (laughs) There is no way we can ever pay for something because if if the papers get hold of the fact that we're getting our traffic information from mobile phones in cars, I'm dead. You two must have seen some fantastic stuff that is long forgotten but could have been groundbreaking but just didn't turn out that way. Because it's clever, doesn't doesn't need to say it's any use. It's about not only it being clever and practical and effective, it's also about having people that recognise how to, important it could be. And, and I'm thinking here about Max Mosley, when he was president of the, um, was it the FIA, he came to see me to say, if only we could get electronic stability control to be standard in cars, we could save X lives. And he put a huge amount of effort behind making that happen. And, of course, it did happen eventually. It is, it is. they are pretty much standard. And he'd previously done that with, with ABS braking systems. Max, for all sorts of reasons, get, gets a, a lot of criticism in certain places. If you credit him with having got ABS and, and electronic stability control as standard in cars, he has probably saved hundreds of thousands of lives around the world as a result of that. Absolutely, because that, to be fair, is where Formula One has always had its greatest strength, isn't it? Because today is what, you know, my car is fitted with five years' time. I'll tell you one thing about transport, which I really enjoyed. I I was a PPS in in what was then the Department of the Environment, and then I was Nick Ridley's PPS when he was at Trade and Industry, and then in the Home Office with, with, with Ken Baker. And I'll tell you what I loved about transport. There's no bloody politics in it. It's practical. Yeah. I found in London, you know, that I could talk to any of the local authorities, might be Labour, Tory, Lib Dem, no overall control, didn't really matter. What's your problem? It would be a pretty common problem. Let's help solve it, you know. And, and I love the fact that, yes, there'd be an argument about whether you privatise the railway or whatever, um, but actually even that was fairly academic. But, you know, I, do, I really did like the fact that there's something about the Department for Transport which got more and more interesting in my time which was it played to an agenda that was just beginning to emerge about the environment and about air quality. It played to an agenda about the standard of living in cities and how to decongest cities, about the importance of public transport as against the private car, the importance of new modes, you know, walking and cycling and so on, which really hadn't had any time spent on them in the past by the department. You know, just well, you know, so I remember famously when, I introduced the first national cycling strategy and said to my my boys, um, why don't we do more about cycling? And they said, well, the thing is, Minister, not many people cycle. He said, yeah, that's why if you don't put tomatoes on the shelf, nobody will ask for them. It was kind of, it was almost common sense and doability that attracted me. I've got the Jubilee Line extension to be really, really proud of. I mean, I've got a, I've got a, a behind me there, there's a piece of metal 
heavy metal. It's one of the teeth on one of the tunnel boring machines that, um, that we had doing the, uh, the Julie line extension. And I can say I did that, forced it past the Treasury, forced it past some people in my own department, and it's there, and it'll be there for 100 years. But, but, but one of the unfortunate things, though, is that transport ministers almost never get to open the projects they start. No, no, I never did, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I was going to mention one thing about, well, about the, the tunnel boring machine you've just reminded me, seeing as we're not supposed to be too serious. Anybody involved in civil engineering knows that your tunnel boring machines are always called, they always have ladies' names, a bit like ships. So the two that they've just done crossrail with were called Elizabeth and Victoria. Ours were called Sharon and Tracy. <laughs> and when I said, why? They said, well, the thing is, Minister, um, like all good Essex girls, they may be very boring, but they do go all the way. <laughs> I, got, um, I, I got to open a bit of motorway that, that goes past Old Trafford in Manchester and, and, and Look North interviewed me that evening as I, after I opened it. And, they, and she said, what does a... Uh, a, a Liverpool boy like you feel feel about opening a motorway in Manchester. And I said it was £100 million well spent to help the people of Manchester get to Anfield more quickly. I'm going to just finish off by just asking, because obviously you've gone on to, to many other things. Obviously, Steve, you know, president of ITS UK must be the pinnacle of your career. Stephen, yes. economist of Smart Highways magazine, must have been pretty high up on yours. <laughs> but do you miss your time as an MP and as a minister, and what were the best and worst bits of it? I don't miss being an MP. I mean, when, when I started, it was a wonderful job, but then all that expenses stuff came out, and although there was nothing ever found about my expenses, in, in, in fact, the, the, the only criticism my local newspaper came up was when they, they discovered that my office had bought tutti-frutti post-it notes instead of ordinary yellow ones. <laughs> and they and they made that the headline of the oh, of the local yeah. newspaper, but sure, unfortunately everybody got tarred with the with the same brush. So being an MP was a less pleasant job after that, but being a minister was an absolutely fabulous job. It was a privilege to be a minister, and you know there are many things in 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 my ministerial career I'm very very proud of. You know, and I can. I can look at things which I know have saved lives and, and, and made people's lives better as a result of, of the work that, that me and the team did at, at, at that time. So, yes, I'm, I miss being a minister. I miss the power of being a minister. I don't, don't miss being an MP, unfortunately. I echo every word of that. That's exactly what I would have said. As I say, I, you, one or two things you can say, I did that, and I'm proud of that. Or no single person ever does this, but yeah. my lad did this. A group of us together, officials and politicians, did this. You know. Do you know what? Stephen will, I know, agree with this. You never work as hard. You are, you know, often in bed after midnight and up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning to be doing something else. It's the hardest you ever work. And it's the one job I'd take tomorrow if it was offered. I really would. But you're quite close to the heart of government after all. Just occasionally, you're talking to the prime minister that evening. You're, you're meeting, you know, foreign leaders and and maybe showing them what you're good at, or maybe they're showing you what they're good at. I think for both of us, it's the greatest privilege of our life. It really is absolutely. And you do meet meet so many people. I mean, you're you're right about foreign leaders. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be 
the transport minister with European responsibility when we had the presidency. And, oh, yeah. and one of the one of the jobs I had to do was to go around every member state and meet their transport minister and say, you know, what should we work on during the UK presidency to, to, together? And, and just, I mean, it, it's just a stunning job. And it, as I say, it's a privilege and an honour to, to have done it. So not so much the thick of it in their experience, more yes minister, I guess, but I'm sure they never let their Sir Humphreys get the better of them. So this week on Highways Voices, our two Steves, Norris and Ladyman, were our guests. Next week, if all goes to plan and we get the interview uh, recorded, we'll get into some controversy again when we talk e-scooters with someone who tells us that there's no place for them in an active travel solution. You'll find out why they think that on next week's Highways Voices. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 